sing with me. Hallelujah. Lord, may it be that we not only praise you with our voices, that we praise you with our voices. Praise you when we rise up and deliver. Praise you when we put words to whatever it is. Praise you. Praise you, Lord, in deep valleys in our lives. Praise you, Lord. Voice of the Lord. The word says that everything that has With your spirit, wisdom, grace, bless the Lord. I don't happen to I, I don't have to look like a blue blue monster up here with 
these lights. I feel like I'm all blue here. <laughs> I'm not blue, by the way. You understand the meaning of blue. Uh, keep our uh, high school kids in prayer. They're the ones that went to the retreat. They're out there now. And so keep them in prayer. And uh, don't forget that this coming Monday will be the start of Vacation Bible School, and we look forward to seeing the Lord do great and wonderful things with those that are going to be coming, participating, as well as the kids, and, and also, I mean, it's kids, young and old, we're going to have a lot of kids around here, so keep us all in prayer, and, and that the Lord would really do a great work in the lives of our children. Okay, let's uh, let's turn to Ezekiel, but only to read a passage. I I, uh, I wanted to jump right back into the next passage that we were going to do after the last two weeks dealing with his American prophecy, and uh, so I was going to wind it up really quick. And then the more I worked, the more I looked at it, the more I dealt with it, I, I began to realize I, I had one more week of that, and then so next week we'll get back into the rest of Ezekiel 38 to get into 39, and then. But once we get this settled and cemented in our minds and in our hearts, then we're, then we're going to move on. But I want to just remember where we've been. So I want to go back and read verses 1 through 13 of Ezekiel 38, if you'll read it with me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, which can also be seen as the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince, or the prince of Rosh, of Meshech, and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, which is today modern Iran, Ethiopia, which is today modern Sudan, Libya, which is Libya, with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer, which is in the region of Asia Minor, and all his bands, the house of Tagarma, uh, modern-day Turkey of the north quarters, and all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. And so it's, it's describing Israel here, that these northern nations are going to come, and, and some of the southern ones as well, are going to come and attack Israel, which have, all, have been always waste, which means they have been desolate for, for many, many years. But it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. And that is, of course, what we see today with Israel being back in the land, there is a people that 
that is named that are named Israel, and uh, and they're back in the very place where God wants them to be. Verse nine, though, continuing to speak to uh, Gog, thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. So this is just to show the the extent of how big this army is that is going to come against Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. Well, that evil thought has been simmering in, in the minds of every enemy of Israel from practically the very beginning. I'll talk, hopefully remember to talk a little bit about that in a moment. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey. Quickly mention here that a lot of people think that that is today. There are still cautionary things that they're going through to protect themselves from terrorists. If you've been looking at the news just this past week, there have been some bombs being coming over from uh, supposedly the, the war in Syria, and so the bombs are fly, you know, flying into the Golan Heights, which is in the northern part of Israel. Uh, on the other hand, Gaza from Gaza, the uh, Hamas is just shooting some uh, bombs into Israel. Uh, we haven't heard any bad reports, but because Israel does their best to take care of stuff like that. And every time that happens, Israel retaliates. So now the bombs come into Israel, Israel retaliates, and who gets condemned? Israel. Just thought this is commentary now. Let's get back to reading. So you'll know where we are. This is, for us to understand Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the war that is going to take place, this isn't the unwalled villages yet. Okay, so keep that in mind. To take a spoil and to take a prey. In other words, to go in and to take out everything that belonged to Israel. Now to, you know, to have the army that comes in to take them, uh, to take the spoil. To turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that make fruitful a land that was completely desolate at one time. And then we get to that key verse, uh, verse 13, concerning the possibility of the United States of America being in Scripture at all. Sheba and Dedan being, of course, uh, the Arab nations in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and the merchants of Tarshish, which we said would probably be the uh, uh, western nations beyond uh, Turkey, Gomer and Tagarma, beyond them, out to the uh, uh, Spain and England, uh, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof. And we said that if, if if the United States is anywhere in Scripture, they are probably these young lions because they came out of Tarshish in the sense that, of course, we talked about the development of the United States, the discoveries made by, by, by Spain and England, and, of course, Spain and England are considered either, either or Tarshish. But uh, it says, Art thou come to take a spoil? So they're questioning Russia which is led by God. Remember Rosh, Meshech, Tubal. Russia is, is, uh, is uh, confronted, but in a very 
polite way by these questions. Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away silver and gold? To take away cattle and goods? To take a great spoil? Which is what the United Nations does today. They do a lot of asking about why you're doing what you're doing, but the only ones that get condemned in the United Nations is Israel. You know, trying to keep themselves alive. Okay. So here's the question that I need to ask you all tonight as we get ready to close what we've been studying about the United States in prophecy or not. But the question is, is the United States of America under God's judgment today? And it is important for us not to put that question aside. Not to say that, well, we know we've had a change of administrations. Maybe we think that things are going to get better. Put on a happy face and things are going to get a lot better now. No, is America today under God's judgment? When we have considered all the immoral and the disgraceful conduct associated with present-day America, we, we could see the terrible symptoms of the perilous times outlined uh, as, by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy as if completely and totally directed toward this nation. Think about it for a minute. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. Now, we spent a lot of time studying this over the last couple of years, but again, I want to bring you just very quickly to, to a couple of points. But if you read this, you, you, you can practically put the sins of the United States of America in this passage. Now, remember something. Righteousness exalts a nation. That's what God is concerned about with nations. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14.34. So here Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Today we can say, in the last days, perilous times have come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. There's tremendous selfishness in this country today. Covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers. Think about the very fact that every time that we as, as Christians want to go out into the street to, to preach the gospel or, or take the, the message of the gospel to, to somebody, you know, we're always being questioned as to whether we can do it here or there because of, you know, the... Uh, separation of church and state. Everybody likes that. You know, but they don't, they don't even understand what that is. point is, there's blasphemers all around. At one time, we were blasphemers. Think about that. Disobedient to parents. Kids, you don't want you to fall into this trap here, so don't disobey your parents. Unthankful. Without gratitude. Unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, breaking treaties, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. By the way, incontinent means without self-control. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. There's, there's a lot of forms of godliness all around it, even in the church. Think about that for a Forms of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I want you to look at verse 3 for a minute, because there in, in verse 3 is this, this phrase, without natural affection. Y'all see that? In verse 3, as much or more than all the rest, this phrase describes the spiritual cancer that is afflicting us as a nation. Because two of the more abhorrent behaviors uh, being abortion and homosexuality 
are, are, are just rampant. Think about getting close to 60 million babies aborted in this country alone over all the time that abortions have been reported. That's a lot of abortions. Abortion certainly fits the without natural affection. No affection, no heart, no compassion. We, we've, we've made uh, having some, some sense of affection for people, you know, it's, uh, we, we don't want to take, take it too strongly. We'll, we'll take it lightly. I think I mentioned one time that if you look at, at, at TV shows or you look at, uh, in particular, science fiction shows, Star Trek, Star Wars, all of that, people die. And, and, and you know, for a second they, they're, they're upset that somebody dies. Then they go on and just live life like nothing happened. You know, and, and that's a, that kind of gets into people's minds. And people who have been in, in the military know that death is taken pretty hard. Death is always taken. Sometimes we never forget. Sometimes we never forget what we see. But when there's no, no affection, no natural affection, there's a big problem. And then homosexuality can be described as with unnatural affection. Because that in itself is an unnatural act. It doesn't even fit the, the, the way God made men and women. And, and so it, it, it becomes this this duel against God and against His Word. We're going to do what we want to do. And I believe that that, that particular sin is something that was born in the, in the garden when Satan, as, as the serpent said, did God really say? Is, is it really an evil thing? And, I mean, we can look at a lot of sins out of that, you know, evolution in the sense of, you know, teaching that, in, in effect, evolution teaches that there's no God. We just kind of existed over billions and billions of years, and all of a sudden we're here. Some molecule or some amoeba was flying through the sky and hit another amoeba, just, just so happened to hit each other out there. And all of a sudden, look at what we have. But it doesn't mean anything to people because they just say, you know, we just live on this little blue ball, and, and if we die, we die. We just, there's nothing to go to, nowhere to go. There's, there's really nothing to live for. Is it any wonder why there's such a high rate of, of suicide in the land today, especially by young people who are getting fed this? Both spiritual abominations stand on the premise that anything goes. Anything goes. Fulfilling the humanistic philosophical position that there are no moral absolutes. That's the philosophy of the day. No moral absolutes. In other words, the godless humanistic relativist through values clarification. And this is what's happening even in the news today. We're, we're, we're clarifying values. We're, we're changing values and then clarifying them to the to the humanistic mindset. That's pretty much what values clarification does. But through values clarification, the, the relativist, the humanist, the, god, the godless uh, uh, humanist 
has built their Tower of Babel on a casual attitude toward human life and on sexual perversion and on deviation as, as private matters between consenting adults. That, that's another phrase you hear. Well, it's another you know, consenting adult. And these are only two of many issues that plague us as a nation in direct opposition to the Word of God and the, and the God of the Word. Do you think it doesn't mean anything to the future of the United States that we have 57 million babies killed by abortion? That it doesn't mean anything that, that just a couple of years ago in the previous administration when the Supreme Court uh, made same-sex marriage legal, that that day, when, that evening actually, when, when, when that bill passed or you know, when, when that law came into effect, that the White House was bathed in the rainbow colors. But that didn't do something to God's heart about this nation. And the only thing that I could do through the tears was just say, this nation's done. The nails are being hit into the car. We all used to sing, and we still do, and we can. You know, America the Beautiful. But we have to be honest and say America the not so beautiful. When we think about things. Is the great divide that we're seeing and experiencing in our country today, polarizing our political parties and creating such a hostility among the American people, politically, spiritually, morally, and ju ju judicially. Cement, is it cementing an irreversible condition from which there is no return? Eventually to lose our superpower status in the world, leading to two wars, which would be the Psalm 83 war, which we've studied quite a bit in, in previous weeks, as well as the Ezekiel 38 war. Is the handwriting on the wall for our once great nation that is now known more for a divorce rate that went from 4% to 51% in one generation? Did you all know that? That's astounding. You go from a divorce rate of 4% to 51% in one generation for legalized marijuana in several states. Rampant pornography and abortion. For 110 million people infected with sexually transmitted disease. For the economy or the economic insanity of being $20 trillion in national debt while wasting $60 billion in Medicare fraud and waste. For a nation's leaders chiming in with the world's leaders and proclaiming that Islam is a peaceful religion while cities are burning. By those who yell, Allah Akbar. For illiteracy, crime, appalling fatherlessness, human trafficking, and an ignorant populace dependent on an untrustworthy and lying media.
the Lord wants us to take his word, and he wants us to connect the dots when it comes to what is taking place in the world today, and especially here in the United States. The prophets and the apostles, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and especially Jesus himself, gave us detailed descriptions of what it was going to be like in the latter days. And, and, and it is hoping without hope to think that the latter days have not, either the latter days have not arrived or that, well, they might have arrived, but there, there's still some hope for the country. I'm, I want to be the first one to say I, I want there to be hope for this country. I want, this to be, I want there to be hope for this nation. I do. I stated last time I love this nation. It's a nation that has been good to my, my fathers and my ancestors. And I think many of us here would chime in with the same appreciation for what this nation has given. And it's painful to see. But we need to take note of three things that the Lord Jesus said as prophetic principles. So I'm just building here something about prophetic principles. The first thing is in John 13, 19. These are very quick, so just you can just kind of follow along. John 13, 19, Jesus said, Now I tell you before it comes. So I'm telling you something before something happens. So I, I tell you before it comes that when it come when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am here. So that, that's a very important prophetic principle that, that here Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you something that is going to happen here later, but when it happens, and it comes to pass, know and believe that I am. Because literally that's what it said. Know and believe that I am. That I'm God. That's God's name. I am. Ego eimi in the Greek. In John 14, 29. It says, and now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, you might believe. So once again, that, that principle is being made very clear by Jesus. That he says, I, I told you something that is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And when it comes to pass, you'll believe. You'll believe in it, or you'll believe. And then the most popular one for us in this time of looking way ahead, because those other two examples were for a very near thing happening. But here in Luke 21, verse 28, and I think you all are uh, familiar with this. When these things begin to come to pass, Jesus said, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption, draw it not. So, again, Jesus is saying, here, here's some things that are going to come to pass. Now, the things that he's been pointing to here in Luke 21, just as he did in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, is pointing to a time to come where we are pretty much in today. And we might include the list in 2 Timothy 3 along with Matthew 24 and Mark 13, Luke 21. Let's not, let's not forget something else. Let's not forget to put into this whole picture Second uh, Timothy chapter four verses one through four, and it's really verse three that I want to three and four that I want to concentrate on. But <clears throat> we we need to con consider that these are things being told are going to happen, and the fact is some of them are already happening today. So in Second Timothy chapter four verses one through four, Paul said, "I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ." who shall judge the quick and the dead, which means the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. So this is what he tells Timothy to do. Preach the word. 
be instant or ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. In other words, correct through the word of God with all long-suffering and with doctrine. And then he said, and remember that Timothy was a pastor. And then he said in verse 3, for the time will come. Now what does that tell us? Something is going to happen. A time is coming when things are going to be noted. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, I honestly at 33 years of being a pastor, I think I'm going on 34, I forget what. Tomorrow I think it's 20. But, but, you know, after 33 years of being a pastor, you know, I've had times where people say, all you do is teach the Bible. Uh, We're going to go somewhere else. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. We feel that way, but I'm doing what God tells me to do. You know, teach the Bible. Teach the Word. Just like He tells Timothy, be ready in season, out of season. Deal with the season. We're dealing with the season. Oh, but we we don't want to endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the teaching of the Word of God. As as we've always taught from Genesis to Revelation. But after their own lusts. Lusts have to do with the sensual, the, the flesh, in essence. So, after their own fleshly lusts, they heap to themselves teachers, having it in here. So they, want, they don't want sound doctrine, but they want something that will make them feel comfortable, good. And I hate to say that there's a lot of people that will meet that need in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different churches. There's a lot of different communities. But what they do, in, in verse 4, notice it says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto favor. Lies. Made up stories. And this surely refers to an apostate Laodicean church that compromises the word of God and refuses to deal with the defining issues of our day, refusing even to trust the prophetic word. But there are some people, and I, and I, can, I can just be completely honest with you, there, there are some people that I know in churches, if I were to go down and sit down with them and say, hey, I want to share some stuff from the scriptures about what's happening today in the world. They won't want to go there. Oh, brother, you, you, you just... You, Getting too, getting too uptight about these things. Things are going to work out. No, God's in control. Well, I know God's in control. But because God's in control, He already told us these things were going to happen. And He still tells us to be ready. Well, you know, there's too much emphasis on prophecy. No, there's not enough emphasis on it. And that's where the problem is in the church today. When you have a large segment of of, of what is called the church supporting radical elements, wanting to have interfaith dialogue with with Muslim uh, imams, having them come to their church. I was watching a a video the other day of of a church that had an imam come and sit on their their stage, you know, and, and... 
and, and there talk about Islam and, and go through this whole thing, not, not compromise it on his part one bit. But the pastor said, no, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, open your Bible, dude, because that guy's telling you everything that's contrary to, to, to the word of God. But that's where we are today. Interfaith. Be careful with this interface. Listen to what Paul said. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Look at how we're living. Look at look, look, look what we've got. We're smiling all the time. We smile and, and, and that little glint, you know, like, ding, you know. Little bright thing comes right out of their teeth, man. I don't know if that was, you know, done by cameras or something. Amazing. I have need of nothing. They may not say it in those terms, but they say it in what they mean. And no, it's not. You don't know that you're wretched. You're wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You, you don't even know that you're these things. Because your focus is on everything that you can see, touch, handle, taste, whatever. Everything that we've looked at over the last three weeks concerning the United States of America as to whether it has some major prophetic role in the last days brings us more to the conclusion that it will be rendered at some time and in the very near future 
as inconsequential even in its subsequent role as, as Israel's friend and defender. Because that's what we still are. It is clear that the scriptures, or in the scriptures, that Israel will be saved due to God's promises to his people. We teach that because it is there in the scriptures. It is the promise that was given to Abraham. It was that unilateral promise that God gave to Abraham. Abraham had nothing whatsoever to do in that whole in that whole scenario of, of the covenant that God made. God made and kept both sides of the covenant so that it would be very clear that no matter what Israel would go through, in the end, God would restore his people. God would restore Israel. That, that is just the way God designed this. So we know from the scripture that Israel will be saved due to the God's promises to his people, but there is no such promise to save the U.S. from either its destruction or its forced neutrality. There's nothing. Except for what it says about nations. And again, I refer you to Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We touched on a few scenarios last time, and I'm, I'm talking about possible scenarios like a nuclear threat. Uh, we, we're still amazed at, at uh, this, you know, the power that uh, Kim Jong-un ha- has, uh, Un, I should say, has in, in North Korea. Uh, and, and the desire, you know, to, to be seen as a, as a major nuclear player. Uh, we always have to keep an eye on that, on that, you know, uh, on that weirdo. But uh, the fact is that both North Korea and Iran, who are wanting to be nuclear powers, have already tested the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse, and I talked about that last time. That's just to name a couple of scenarios. Uh, we could spend a lot of time on things like the the economic uh, and the monetary collapses, or we could talk about uh, the uh, the mortgage uh, uh, downslide and all of that. But but one thing that we mentioned at the close of our last study may may very well play a major role in where the United States will be before the uh, Ezekiel 38 war. And I'm just going to say it. It's the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Now, if you're not too familiar with the rapture of the church or you've heard all kinds of other things about what the rapture of the church is, I'll try to clarify that to you for you tonight. But But, uh, uh, the the fact fact is is that... at least uh, from the scriptures as we look at and examine the scripture, that the rapture of the church is, is going to be taking place prior to Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 wars. And that could take place at any time now. Uh, things are already pretty much in place for those things to take place. Remember the Psalm 83 war? You just look at the nations that are mentioned there. Those are nations that are viable in, in the world today. 
Those are the nations that are directly in contact with Israel, that surround it, and are complete enemies of Israel. Then comes the Ezekiel 38 war. So there is that first level or the first tier war, and then a second tier war. And again, that can take place at any time because all of those nations are in place. So now we need to start connecting the dots here on this particular issue. Because first of all, the rapture of the church, if you're not real familiar with that, in its most simple terms, is the future event when the Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven to raise or resurrect the bodies of the departed saints, followed by catching up every living believer, body, soul, spirit, in an instant into his glorious presence. That's a simple definition of the rapture of the church. We find mentions of it. I was talking to someone not too long ago. They said, well, the rapture of the church is not in the scriptures. Okay, we need, we need to sit down and talk a little bit. Because when we look at passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Now, you want to read all the way back from verse 35 forward to the end of this chapter. It's a long chapter, but if you go back to verse 35, I think it's, it's a good place to start reading about what Paul is saying about the body, about death, about uh, um, the fact that we will resurrect one day. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. So this, the very word behold itself, you know, it's, 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 it's rare to see it because it, it, it's an awakening word. It, it, it kind of captures our attention to something that is going to be very significant in a statement. Behold, I show you a mystery. A mystery being that there has been something covered up for a good long while. But now the mystery is being revealed. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, this is not talking about uh, promotion of, of uh, the uh, uh, nursery ministry in any church. We, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So I'll throw that in there. Uh, some, okay, no, forget it. Okay. Just so I see if you guys are awake here. All right. No, he says, we shall not all sleep. Now, sleep is, is in the scriptures used as a term concerning death. And it's a good term for the Christian to know that we will sleep only to rise again. You know, sleep is, is inactivity, but a safe inactivity if we are in the Lord. So we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now that word changed in, in the sense of, 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 a, of a, like a metamorphosis, as it were. We shall all be changed. And then he, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Every time I say that phrase, I, 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 I'm consciously aware of my blinking. Because that's the twinkling of an eye. And if we were to time the twinkling of an eye, it would be really fast. I don't know too many people that blink slow. Well, I guess maybe we do blink slow when we're trying to stay awake and we're not doing very good at it. And then we kind of blink slow. <laughs> But in the twinkling of an eye, it says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And we're not going to talk about the trumps here. I'm, I'm talking about the Washington trumps. Uh, don't, don't, 
get, be confused. I'm not talking. It's the trumpet, okay, the, 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 the shofar. And when, when we get back to this passage later, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the timing, what to, which is the last trump and, and whatnot. But anyway, in a moment at the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. And thank the Lord that Paul made that clear. We're talking about a trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There it is again. And the corruptible will become incorruptible. The mortal shall become immortal. You'll become alive, and you'll stay alive forever. That is, if you are in Christ in this particular scenario. So that is somewhat a description of what happens at the rapture of the church. Now, the term rapture itself actually comes from a word that is found in the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now, I think it's important for us to look at this particular passage here because what it says is, I, I would not have you ignorant brethren. Paul is saying to this church that he has actually taught a lot of prophecy too. And we know that by what he says in, 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 Second, Tim, in Second Thessalonians. But he says, but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Because they were so concerned that those who were dying were not going to be uh, with the Lord. And he says that, that them, them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now you're talking about people who are believers in Jesus Christ. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So God's going to get them. You don't have to worry about them. But then he says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So this is coming directly from the word of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, which literally in the, in, in uh, this is King James, but it means it will not precede. You will not go before them which are, which are asleep. So we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or precede them, actually. But 16, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. There it is again, the trump of God. And this is the same trump that, is, that uh, Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, how many of us know what happened in, in, in John when Jesus cried out into the, um, into the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth? What happened? Lazarus rose again. Lazarus was resurrected. Lazarus went from dead to alive. That's a miracle, isn't it? Only God can do that. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. So he says, we, uh, the Lord himself shall descend, that we which are alive and remain, the dead, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So they rise first. In other words, we're not, we're not going to precede them. But almost immediately, almost like right after that little twinkling of an eye, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That is the word in the Greek, harpazo. H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where will we meet Jesus? In the clouds. He's going to gather us together in the clouds. You say, oh, that sounds like Hollywood. No, it's Bible. Can, can the Lord do this? Of course, he created us. He made us. He knows how to do all this stuff. 
He doesn't need a manual like we sometimes need for stuff. I, don't, I was trying to put a new coffee thing together yesterday. I had to read the manual. It's, it's, not, it's not that hard, I know. But I'm, you know. But that's the thing, you know, with God, I mean, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. God can do this. And the very fact is that he says so. And we've already seen an example in what? In Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And even more importantly, Jesus being raised from the dead himself after the suffering that he went through. And then he says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So boom. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the word harpazo, now later on when, when the, the scriptures were written <clears throat> in Latin, then the, the, Latin trans, the Latin word for harpazo was the word uh, rapere, which is, it was, the root would, would be rapto, which, from which we get the word rapture. So that's why it's used. And people say, I don't see the word rapture. Well, no, you don't have to. Just harpazo. The harpazo of the church. Is that, is that better? Because that's, that's Greek. That's there. And when you translate harpazo to Latin, it's rapture. Or what it is to English, it's rapture. So don't worry about it. So anyway, that word literally means to snatch or to seize, to take up forcefully, to take up suddenly and or vehemently. Jesus himself would describe the rapture in this manner. But he doesn't use that term, but this is what he says. And you all know it, John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, this is what he says. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. You already know this. But Thomas said, well, Lord, we, we know not whether thou goest and how can we know the way? <laughs> so Jesus said this, and listen carefully to what he said. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now notice, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So then you tie this together with what Paul will later say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And there, where the dead in Christ shall rise, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet in the clouds and to be forever with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't forget that Jesus is about to go to the cross. And still he lets them know, I have this promise for you. I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Now we could talk about the finer things about the rapture in, 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 in contrast to the second coming. Because those are two different events. We'll, may, we'll talk about them later. But here's the point. As obviously as described in the scriptures the rapture of the church will certainly be a life changing event 
If every believer is raised either from the dead or off of the earth, that's going to be a life-changing event. Not only for those who are taken at the blink of an eye, but especially for those who will be left behind on that day. You know, a lot of times we don't think about the people that are going to be left behind. Well, I know there was a left behind series of books and stuff like that to give you an, an idea of what's going to be happening to those left behind. But we don't really think about the people left behind. And we don't think about the things that are going to happen the day after the rapture. Maybe they have to, maybe they need to make a movie called The Day After the Rapture. Because that's when a lot of stuff is going to happen. We don't often talk about how catastrophic or cataclysmic an event of this nature would be to the world, uh, much less its effect on the United States. But even if this country were to lose 10% of its population, which would be about 30 million citizens, if, if this country, in the twinkling of an eye, were to lose 30 million people, that's just 10% of the entire population of the United States. Through the rapture of the church. 30 million. Think about that. That would immediately leave a calamitous situation. Because the nation would have lost something. The nation would have lost its salt and its light. Think about that. Remember that Paul talks about this, this issue in, in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians. When the restrainer leaves, then what happens in the world? That, that it's the influence of the church because the Holy Spirit is in the church. Now it's it's lessened in this in this day and time because there, are, you know, we're talking about the difference between a professing believer in Jesus Christ and a confessing believer. One who confesses the Lord as the Lord and Savior. Not just one who professes with his mouth, but believes in his heart. It's only good character and, and godly influence that is found in salt and light. I mean, remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost, have lost his savor, if the salt has lost its taste, its influence... Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. So he says, you're the salt, but you're also the light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Is this not how we as believers in Jesus Christ should be in this, in this society, in this country, in this culture? We need to be on a candlestick. There are no secret agent Christians that wear cloaks. And somewhere down the line, you know, we kind of just open our cloak like, I'm a secret agent Christian. doesn't work that way. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Light. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You remove the salt and the light and what do you have? You have no preserving factor, which is the salt. You have no light to point the way. You have no light to grow life and fruit. Now, there will be a ripple effect on the land. 
The financial crisis will be greater than it's ever been. The stock market will, will fall like a lead balloon. Whatever the influence this nation would have had globally and with Israel especially will render it insignificant at best. Let's, con let's connect more dots. The rapture should happen before the Gog-Magog war for these reasons. We're going to do this very quickly here, so I might go up a little over time, but it won't be too much. First Thessalonians 5. Let, let's, uh, we ended with these last week, these passages. Well, this passage anyway. I think we did. No, it was the other one. First doesn't look for This is in a First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 3. Paul said, but, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For, you. for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is really the seven-year period of tribulation. It's already been outlined in the scriptures through Daniel and, 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 and the book of Revelation. And other books, of course. But that's the day of the Lord. So cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. Would you remember that phrase, they shall not escape? Remember that? They shall not escape. Y'all got it? All right. Now, I mentioned the seven years. Connect the dot here in Daniel 9.27. And he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That is a week of years, so it's, it's seven years. And in the midst of the week, three and a half years in the middle, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease in the temple that has now been built because there has been a peace treaty. And Israel has given their, their opportunity to have a temple on the Temple Mount. But halfway through, the sacrifice, the oblation will cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So that's the seven years. One more connection of dots here, and that is Ezekiel 38, verse 11. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Now, I've already explained the fact that that is not today because there are still some walls, there are still some barriers, there are still some uh, uh, checkpoints. Uh, they're guarding the border in Israel very, very carefully. I don't know why we don't guard our borders very carefully, but they guard their borders because for them it's a matter of life and death. I think somewhere down the line we need to realize that it's going to be the same way for us too. Anyway. Here's where we can start connecting the dots. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 says, It says that sudden destruction is going to come upon them, and while they are saying peace and safety, who's they and them? In fact, that's Israel. It's Israel specifically, but it can also be the world, generally speaking, but it is Israel. The way we know is that when you read that, uh, that particular verse, it says... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Now, the phrase a woman with child is what is used many times in the Old Testament to point to the suffering that Israel is going to go through in the days of the end. So right there, that's a connection. 
the they and the them is not us, then we, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds and then to ever be with the Lord. See, we have to make the distinctions between the we and the them. And the you, as, as uh, we'll see in a moment. So the they and the them is Israel, and everyone will be interested in peace, but on whose terms? Whose terms? Well, at that point, it's going to be, it's going to be the Antichrist. So this is going to lead to that seven-year peace agreement. But now we've got, to, we, we've got to take a whole new different direction here. How many times have we heard of the term, the two-state solution? Have you heard of the term, the two-state solution? If you have, raise your hand. Two, the two-state solution. That's, that's being done today. It's been worked on and worked on and worked on. And, you know, the U.S. has tried to, tried to bring Israel and, and the Palestinians together, Israel and the Palestinians, Israel and the Palestinians. And there's meetings in Washington, meetings in Camp David, meetings here and meetings there. And every time they have these meetings and they sign these accords, what happens? They break them. But I bet you you never realize that the two-state solution is coming up again in the time of the Antichrist. Because that seems to be what most of the world wants, a two-state solution. We're going to divide Israel. We're going to get some of it to, we're going to get some of it to Israel and some of it to the Palestinians. But I have to say in agreement with J.D. Farag that this is just a repackaging of Hitler's final solution. It's not the two-state solution. It is a repackaging of Hitler's final solution. When Israel thinks that she dwells in peace and security, possibly after Psalm 83 war because those nations will be destroyed by God, she will let her guard down, her walls will go down, her gates will go down, it will be a truly unwalled village or walled city, unwalled city. And then the pain begins. By the way, compare 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 with Luke 21, verse 36. To us, Jesus says, watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy. To what? To escape. To escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. But you'll be counted worthy. You, not them. You. God will take care of Israel. In fact, that's why the church has to get out of the way. God is going to take care of Israel. But if the United States is still around in a more secondary and, and weakened capacity, it may very excuse me, it may very well side with the European allies or NATO or with other plausible alliances to agree with the Antichrist against Israel. The more we look at nations establishing themselves in alliances, it's never an alliance with Israel, as we look at the end time scenarios. So the final solution then is going to be implemented, not the two-state solution, the final solution. Because that is what all these wars are about. Psalm 83, destruction of Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39, destruction of Israel. War of Armageddon is actually, you know, nations mad enough at the God of Israel that they want to 
They won't go against God. You want to go against God? Well, we'll get to that word in another time. So the rapture could eventually be the final blow to weaken a still strong and superior nation. To look at the political landscape of the U.S. today, even knowing that there are legislators in the Capitol who profess faith in Christ, make us realize that even though the battle for truth is raging against God's people, we should always pray for those who stand for righteousness. And, and, that, and that's a good thing for us to do. God is still on the throne, remember. He's still in control. And Jesus is coming again. And he's coming very soon. It's my prayer that the information given here this evening will help us a little bit to understand more about the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that we're going to continue to study now from verse 14 on through this chapter and then on into chapter 39 next time. But let me leave you with these passages of Scripture because it is important for us to realize that to be worthy of escaping these things, we need to come to Jesus because he's the only one that's truly worthy. And it's in Jesus that we will be safe. It's in him. So I leave you with John 1, verses 11 through 14. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, both Jew and Gentile, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his, on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So you need to come to know Jesus, and you need to be born again with the Spirit of God. And, the and lastly, Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, where Jesus says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house, which is the owner or the master of the house, had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. And therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. That, that I think, is the reality of, of many people today. In such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. That is why Jesus said, keep looking up. Keep lifting up your head because your redemption draws nigh. And keep praying for our nation. Keep praying for the United States of America. Nations will still be before the Lord, but nations can be blessed as well. We, we've done a lot, and, and, and again, I, I think it's important to note that God doesn't forget what good has happened to his people because of what we've done. But as a nation, we've also seen how we've left God. So continue to pray for the salvation of this, this country. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to open your word and to study and to pray, Lord, that, um, that we 
truly are looking at things rightly, dividing your word, rightly looking at the things that are indeed happening and coming to pass, and encouraging one another as the day of Jesus approaches. To be in fellowship, to be in love with the Lord, to be fully committed to obeying Him in all things and knowing, Lord, that You are the one that gives us the Spirit, Your Spirit, that we might be strengthened, Lord, in Your light. Continue, Lord, to make us salt and light to this world and to this earth. Continue, Lord, Your work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand. And as I said, we're going to finish off the chapter next week, uh, start at verse 14, so we can read ahead, and uh, then we can move on to chapter 39. A lot still to be studied as far as what is being set up in these particular scriptures. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's sing, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace.